Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Mark chapter 10. We are in the middle of our stretch series. Week two kicked off last week discovering that there are people that are on the shore, that are people that get in the boat, and then there's people that get out of the boat. And we got to figure out which one are we. And um, uh, so last week we discovered that it takes a stretch sometimes to get off the shore and get into the sea, get into the boat, get into the boat that ends up in the middle of the sea, right? That's the goal is the boat gets away from the shore, ends up out in the middle where uh, we have to put all of our trust and all of our dependence on God. Really, when we, when we break it down, when we boil it down, that's really what this whole stretch series is all about, is putting our faith, dependence, and trust in God. So many times we find ourselves putting faith, trust, or dependence in things other than God. And we would answer the question, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in God. Do you have faith in God? Yeah, I have faith in God. And, and, and we believe that we are faith giants and faith, faith people, but there are things that will steal your trust if you're not careful. And so you might have your trust in the shore and you might need to get out in the boat, get in the sea, end up in the middle of a storm, end up in the middle of a challenge. Jesus knew that they were gonna end up in a storm. Jesus knew that there was gonna be a challenge and a struggle that would come against those men as they ended up out in the middle of the sea, in the middle of that storm. Jesus knew that. He knows the weather. He knows what's gonna happen. He, he can see that that's gonna take place, but yet commanded them to go out into the storm, commanded them to go into the sea anyways. And so sometimes challenges and struggles show up in our life because we obey God. Can we understand that? That sometimes the very fact that I'm doing exactly what Jesus told me to do puts me in a position to where uh, uh, I am going to incur challenges and struggles in my life because, you know, there is someone out there that's not happy that you're obeying God. There's someone out there that doesn't care for you to fulfill God's purpose and plan for your life. And so those challenges come. But then there are some of us that, you know, we're used to getting in the boat. We're Peter. We spend a lot of time in the boat and we spend a lot of time in the middle of the sea where we're not near this shore or this shore. I'm, I've got to figure out how to get from one side to the other. There's plenty of us that have experienced trials and struggles, and we know that God will get us through as long as we're in the boat. And so your trust really isn't in Jesus, it's in the boat. And so sometimes Jesus has to pull you out of the boat, get you to walk on water and doing something that you never thought you ever could. And so God is always trying to stretch your faith, it, for, it might be a stretch to get in the boat. But for some of us, we're used to the boat. We're used to the, to the things and the conveniences that we have surrounded our lives with that we know can get us to the other side. And yeah, there's a storm and a struggle, but I know if I stay in the boat, I'll get there. But God wants to stretch us beyond that. Okay, Peter, come on out. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come out on the water. Okay, come on. And he had to stretch his faith. And it wasn't until he saw or until he focused on what was around him that the storm didn't subside a little bit and allow him to get out of the boat. He just 
took his focus and put it on Jesus. But the second he took his focus off Jesus, back onto the storm, he began to sink. And so it wasn't the water that gave way. It wasn't the, the, the storm can't stop you. It's the focus on the storm that stops you. It's what you look at in the midst of the storm. And so we're talking about stretching our faith, getting off the shore, getting in the boat, and for some of us, getting out of the boat. Amen. Mark chapter 10, and uh, we're going to look at verses 17 through 31. We're familiar with this story. This is the story of the rich young ruler. And we'll start with verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him. Actually, I'm reading this in the, um, we're in the New Living. We're in the New Living translation. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a good question. I mean, for all the ones that opposed Jesus's ministry and for all the ones that came against him, all the ones that wanted nothing to do with him and eventually wanted to kill him, it, you, you think that it would be nice to have someone run to you, kneel down before you and ask you a question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do essentially to be a part of your mission, your plan, the thing that you're bringing to the earth? You would welcome that. But Jesus' response to this young man is, why do you call me good? Jesus asks only God. Uh, Jesus asks and, and, and goes on to say only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Basically, he gives him the commands that he needs to obey. Obedience. We're talking about obedience. And the young man responds, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. So looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I like that. Because what follows might not sound like love. What follows might not, you know, we, we have to change our definition of love, right? Not change it, but renew it back to what it's supposed to be, back from what the world has twisted it to be, what the enemy has tried to make it to be. And so it might not feel like love, but Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. When Jesus came to this earth, he came uh, to disrupt some things. Jesus did not come to just, you know, cater to us. And Jesus did not show up, um, uh, you know, to just do all the wonderful things that we know that he came to do because we know that he wants to give us eternal life and we know that he wants to give us salvation. We know that he's got blessings and gifts for us uh, that, that can better and benefit our life. But the problem is, is many times we're not in a position to receive what he has because we have to let go of what we already have. And so Jesus came to disrupt a way of life. Jesus came to challenge a way of thinking and a mentality. And Jesus came to, to confront 
the way that people thought you could do things. Jesus was a challenger. Jesus disrupted things. Jesus made a mess everywhere he went. Jesus, uh, uh, you, you would think that the people that would be so welcoming of him would be the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the religious leaders. But on the contrary, they turn out to be the ones that opposed him the greatest and eventually killed him. The ones that you would think would welcome him. That's how much he disrupted things. That's how much he confronted their way of thinking. And one of the things that Jesus wants to challenge and confront and disrupt is what we think is valuable. What we think is valuable. And so, you know, when we're in a series like this where we're stretching our faith, and and as you know, on December 9th, we'll stretch our faith practically, financially, by coming with a year-end, giving a year-end offering to the Lord to advance and to continue the work and the mission of what God is doing on December 9th, Sunday, December 9th, December 9th, that's a Sunday, December 9th, just, if you haven't written it down yet, it's December 9th on a Sunday. (laughs) Just getting it in there. You know, they they say, what is that, you know, rehearse it, say it over and over again, it gets gets it lodged in your brain. And so, We're going to stretch our faith, but you never stretch what you want to stay the same. You stretch because you want to change. I mean, you you want to stay the same in an area of life. You, You want to remain status quo or even become complacent. Don't stretch. Don't stretch. Don't worry, this, this message would be irrelevant for you. This series, this, the, you know, the, 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 the messages that we're bringing, if you want to stay exactly where you are, if you want to go into 2019 the same way you're ending 2018, stay the same. Don't stretch your faith. But stretching reveals where you want to grow. Stretching reveals where I want to grow. And so Jesus is coming and disrupting and challenging and confronting. And he, he's, he's confronting values. He's confronting patterns. He's confronting attitudes. He's confronting responses. He, he's confronting and challenging all these things in our way of life. And so this young man, a rich young ruler, I've pointed this out before, you know, that's, that's the kind of person you want, you know, supporting your ministry. He's rich. He's young. Got a lot of years left got a lot to look forward to, and he's a ruler. He's got some influence. And so this young man, uh, you know, we, we, obviously the way it ends is negative, but let's just take for a moment, let's not fault the guy. I mean, he's accomplished some stuff. He's done some things, right? I mean, he's rich. I mean, he's, he's, he's grown in, in wealth. He's young, so he's done this at a very young age. He's, he's somehow found a way to be effective at a very young age. He's, got, he's gained influence and prominence. And on top of that, on top of his achievements and his successes, he's running to Jesus, kneeling down to Jesus, and asking Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not opposing Jesus. He's not running away from Jesus. He's not in, in pride coming to Jesus. He's, he's, he's asking a very genuine question, a very good question, a question that we all at some point in our lives should say, what must I do to inherit, to gain eternal life? I mean, let's not fault the guy. He's actually pretty commendable. 
There's some worse uh, characters that came to Jesus in his time. There are some worse people that Jesus had engaged with. This guy is, is, is coming to Jesus with some relevance, with some values. He's coming to him asking a very genuine question. But Jesus isn't confronting the question. He's confronting the motive. Jesus isn't confronting the question, what must I do? to inherit eternal life. He's confronting the motive. And this is the thing, is our reasons or our motives for wanting or doing something are more important than the thing we actually want. You've got to want it for the right reasons. And so he's challenging not, not the man's question, not the man's desire, he's challenging the man's value. Well, why? The first thing he does is he asks a very weird question. He calls him good teacher, not bad teacher, good teacher. And the first thing Jesus says is, why do you call me good? Good. Why do you call me good? That's a weird question. If somebody came to me and said, oh, you're a good pastor, I wouldn't say, why do you, why do you call me good? I'd say, well, thank you. <laughs> that is the regular response for when someone compliments you, good teacher. Why do you call me good? That's weird. You don't say that to people when they're complimenting you. You don't, I'm telling you right now, it's rude. Don't do that. But Jesus says, why do you call me good? But he's trying to get at something deeper. He's challenging the man's value. He's saying, where do you get your standard of good? What are you comparing good to? See, that's the thing is, is, is many times, we compare our values to someone else's worst values. Many times we think that we're doing good because we see someone else doing worse. And Jesus is saying, that's not a good level of comparison. That's not how you determine your standard. That's not where you gain your values is by how worse someone else is doing. You gain your standard by the only one that is good, that is God. And if you measured good according to God, then we might not think it's so good anymore. He's challenging this man's values. See, we all need our values challenged. The word value actually means this. It means important, useful, and of worth. It's literally what the word value means. It's important. It's, in you, it's useful. It's not very valuable if it's not useful, right? And it has worth. Another definition puts it this way. The worth of something compared to the cost paid for it. The worth of something compared to the cost paid for it. And that really helps us get to the bottom of value. The worth of something compared to the cost paid for it. You know, we have this idea that something is a great value when it is worth a lot, but we pay a little price. Don't we have this idea in our Americanized thinking, our American culture, that it's a great value if I pay $5 for something that's worth 100 Oh, I got a great value. My wife tells me of the great values she finds all the time. I found it at TJ Maxx. The ticket tells you the MSRP is $34.99. I got it for $7.99. It's a great value. But really, if you want to define value properly, 
Something is of value when you're willing to pay the price for it. How valuable is it? Well, what's the price you're willing to pay? How high in cost are you willing to go to determine the value for what it's worth? It's different. We've got to change our thinking. What you value, you usually trust in. What you value is usually where you put your faith. See, Peter valued that boat. The multitudes valued the shore. This man values, he has a value we see of his possessions. And we can't say that something has a value if we're not willing to pay the price. You can't say that. It's easy to say something is of a certain value when you don't have the means to pay for it. But all of a sudden, you have the means that you actually have to literally release and let go. And now all of a sudden, it comes down in value. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd pay that much for that. I don't know if, I'd, I don't know if that vehicle is worth 30000 I'll give them twenty. There's a haggle that happens in the parking lots of dealerships all over the world because we're determining value. The dealership has one value and the salesman has another value and then you have another value. And so the, ultimately what we come to is the, see, they thought it was worth 30. You offered 25. They met in the middle at 27. You just brought its value to 27. They brought their value down to 27. It's only, it can only be determined by what the cost is. What does it cost you? What does it cost you? So we need to ask today, what are the things that we deem valuable costing us? And I think that if we really got serious with that question, we would have a bit of a struggle there because we would find out that things that we would say we value, we don't pay the price for. And then things that we say we don't value they continue to take our payment every day, every month, every week. What is the value that you have of being right in the conversation? You say you value godly friendships, but you're destroying friendships. You're losing friends by winning arguments. Hello, come on. Don't, don't check out on me now. We're not there yet. I'm not even at the punchline yet. Y'all got to stay with me. Right? What do we really value? Why well, value being right? Apparently, because I will drive someone into the ground and drive someone away from me, push someone away to have that moment of being right. And so we recognize that Jesus is, is trying to stretch this young man's thinking because easily he could have said at, at, at his response, oh, I've, I've obeyed all those commands. But what does it cost you? And Jesus could have said, great, come on, follow me. You're the man for the job. You're rich, you're young, you're a ruler, you're running down, you're, you're running me down, you're coming to me saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and then, you know, you check all the boxes, didn't commit adultery, honor father and mother, you know, checking all the boxes. That's what we do in life, right? We're just busy checking boxes. And then Jesus really gets to the good stuff. 
Jesus really locates where this young man's value is by, by saying, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. Now we find out where the man's real value is. What does he really deem valuable? All of a sudden, see, we need things in our lives that challenge our values. I remember hearing of a minister. He was actually a minister down in the Bahamas. He's passed on now. But, you know, young men would come to him and say, you know, they, they wanted him to mentor them. Well, I mean, that, that would be easy to just allow someone to just come down and, and, and you know, who's paying the price? Who's, who's putting forth the cost? And so he would put it on them to get the plane ticket and to find the hotel room. How badly do you want it, right? See, sometimes we don't allow ourselves to really find out how badly we want something because we only go after what's easy. See, the Bible says that the treasure is hidden in a field. And the man went and sold all that he had, all that he had, to what? Buy the field, not the treasure. Oh, we got too many people that just want the treasure and want nothing to do with the field. The, what, what you do with the field determines your value for the treasure. What you do with the field determines what you, what you do with the treasure. Your value for the treasure is hidden in your value for the field. And so we've got to be people that aren't treasure seekers, looking for treasure that's sitting, but we're willing to dig a little bit and we're willing to, to sell a little bit and we're willing to put forth some effort because that's where you really find out how valuable something is in, in, a, in a culture and a generation and a time and, and a world that concedes to our demands all the time. It's tough to really find out what we really value. It's tough to find out what you value when they will make it, they'll make it your way. It's tough to find out what you value when, when we can get things so easily surface. And the problem is, is our values is what is leading to our victories. See, this guy is winning. He's a winner. He's a rich, young Ruler, and not on, on, on top of that, he, he's, he's godly, he's seeking to grow, he's seeking God, he, he's seeking these things. And, and so, but, but the problem is, is not what, it's not the winning itself, but where are you winning in life? Where are we winning? What are we really valuing? The, this, this appearance stuff, the stuff on the outside, according to Jesus, doesn't cut it. According to Jesus, it's deeper than that. He's trying to get down to his real, he's trying to determine how much are you really, really willing to let go? How much are you really going to let go to come follow me? What price are you willing to pay? And so when that cost goes up, sometimes our value goes down. When the cost goes up, that's a good question to ask ourselves. When the cost goes up, does the value come down? See, in our church, we have people that serve in multiple capacities 
all kinds of different areas. They're, they're serving right now, and, and you may have noticed, may not have noticed. And, and the more you don't notice, the more, the more that we're doing it right. The behind the scenes. You got people on stage, but you also got people behind screens. And the ones behind the screens are just as important as the ones that are on the stage. The ones that are in the classrooms are just as the ones holding microphones. Come on. But those levels of service have levels of cost. And so the cost determines how much you really value it across the board. Some of them serve every other week. Some of them serve once a month. Some of them serve every single service. I serve every service. I'm serving you today. I'm not up here for my benefit or for my glory. I'm, I'm here for your glory. I'm here for your benefit. I'm here for the glory of Jesus shining through you. We got a worship team. They serve uh, Sundays and Wednesdays and another day a week called rehearsal. That's cost. How much are you willing to put into it? And you know, it, it's dangerous when you allow people to lower the cost down to your value. They're doing you a disservice. They are. There are certain areas of ministry that it will cost you certain things. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 says that we have to lay aside every weight and sin. And, and, and when you start asking people to lay aside weights, you start finding out where their value really is. And as you grow in the kingdom, your value should rise, the cost should not lower. The further you go in the kingdom, the higher the cost goes and the higher your value should go. But the, the, the moment you're not willing to pay the price is the moment you have teetered out your value. You have just hit a, and, and some of us have not had, had our values challenged in a long time. Some of us have not had our values challenged in a long time. December 9th, we'll have an opportunity to determine values because there's a cost associated with the value. And I don't know what that is. The cost is relevant to you. The cost for somebody may be $100. The cost for another individual may be $10,000. I don't know what that cost is. I don't assign the cost. God does. And he will speak to your heart. And if you will listen to him, there's a cost. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for a God that paid the cost. I'm thankful. Come on. I'm thankful for a God that determined my value before I was worth it. He determined my value. The thing that I love about Jesus is Jesus paid the highest price when I was worth the littlest value. Come on now. See, we want things to perform a certain way or do a certain thing or be a certain way before I pay that certain amount. But Jesus said, I believe in your potential so much that when you're at the bottom, I'm gonna pay at the top. Now that's silliness, that's craziness. There's no investor on this planet that would pay top dollar for something that has not yet performed. You don't make any money that way. But Jesus said, I know that I'm gonna die and out of me is gonna come more children and they're gonna advance the kingdom on this earth and I'm willing to pay the highest price when it's worth the smallest value. So who are we to not return the value back to him? Who are we to not challenge our values. Mm. What are our values costing us? For this young man, it cost him a great ministry opportunity. 
See, this, this man had done a lot of things. He attributed his wealth. That's why he said, what must I do? Because if, if he really understood the principle of inheriting eternal life, you, see, you don't do anything for inheritance, you be. The question doesn't even make sense. If I have an inheritance laid up for me, I don't have to do anything. I just am. If my dad has a million dollars laid up as an inheritance for me, all I have to do is exist. And it belongs to me. Because it's all on his end. He declared that it's mine. I don't have to do a thing. He doesn't have parameters in there. says like, I must make this certain amount of money. I must have this many kids, this size of family, live in this kind of, no, no, no. It belongs to me because I am. What must I be to inherit eternal life is the question, not what must I do. But see, this man attributed everything that he had accomplished and everything he had done, to, or everything that he had gained by what he had done. So he's gonna treat this the same way. What must I do? Because I can do stuff, man. I'm a rich young ruler. I can do some things. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. That's not how this works. So he points back to the obedience, but even the commandments don't make him saved. The law on its own doesn't get him saved. You've got to believe in the Lord Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You've got to confess, make Jesus the Lord of your life. Then you are saved. Then you receive eternal life. Amen? And so he, he's, he's already missing the mark with the question, what must I do? And his doing had, got, had gained him keeping. What, what, what can I get? But the thing about following Jesus is you don't follow Jesus for what you can get. You follow Jesus for what you will give. You get in this thing not for what you get out of it. See, all those disciples that he, he went and called them, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Come follow me, 12 of them came, followed him. Not one of them with any promise of what they would get, except for a promise of how the kingdom would be advanced, of how the world would be changed by their mission and by their ministry. See, sometimes we, it's not that we're doing the wrong things, it means, it's really that we're, doing it for the wrong reasons. Why do we come to church and why do we read our Bibles and why do we pray? And this is the thing, is it's only when you keep the value that you get the result. If I do something for the wrong reason, I'm not gonna get the desired result that I was looking for. So what happens when I no longer get the result from what I'm doing? I quit doing the thing. Well, church isn't really working for me, so I guess I'm just gonna quit doing that. Reading my Bible, God's not even answering my prayers anyway, so why am I gonna keep praying? Why? Because we're not getting the desired result, and that's what we do. We quit doing things that don't bear the results that we believe they should. Rather than going back and fixing the motive, rather than going back and fixing the underlying issue, that, that, that requires too much digging. That requires me to actually look in myself and say, well, am I even going into that place for the right reasons? Am I going in there to be a blessing instead of desiring to be blessed? Am I reading the word just to grow and to learn, not to look for the answer to fix my current, my, my current situation? Am I praying because I want a relationship with God or am I praying because I want him to answer all my problems? Am I really praying anyways? If we really understood what prayer was, it's not about coming with all your issues. 
and saying, God, help me. Prayer is just about, hey, God, how you doing? God, what do you have in store for me? God, I wanna bring heaven on earth today. What can I do? But see, when, when we don't get the desired result, we abandon the thing. But God doesn't abandon what is broken. He fixes it. He fixes it. But by fixing it, you have to challenge it. Right? What we do not challenge doesn't grow. And sometimes I think that we would rather abandon something than challenge something. I mean, I know it's easier. I know it's easier to abandon the marriage instead of challenge myself to be a better husband. I know it's easier to just quit that job instead of challenging myself to be a better employee. Come on, the abandoning is easy to let that go. But when I really get serious, when I really want to dig down and I want to fix the root of the problem, because the problem is, is everything that I abandon, I take myself back into the next thing. And I'm the one that's broken. I'm the one that needs to be corrected. I'm the one that needs to be challenged. I'm the one that needs to be fixed. And so when we really get real, when we really allow ourselves to really get inward and say, what are my values? What are my motives? What are my reasons? Then it will determine what I get out of it. Many times we would find that we could have stopped right here. I didn't need to blame my parents. I didn't need to blame a friend. I didn't need to blame social media. I didn't need to blame the government. I didn't need to blame the economy. I, didn't need, I, I just I could stop right here. Where's my values? Challenge my values. Keep on going in this passage. He said, at this, the man's face fell. And he went away sad, for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This amazed them. This is amazing. Why? Because they, they know what ministry is like. And we could use a rich man on our staff. We could use him on our board, Jesus. He's got a lot of money. He's a donor. He's going to help us do the things that we need to do. But God's not after money. He's after the heart. And this amazed them. But Jesus said, dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Even with the right questions, even with the right approach, but the right approach with the wrong attitude doesn't yield the results. Running, kneeling, asking the questions with the wrong heart with the wrong motive, with the wrong values. You can't be a part of that. He says that the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. See, there's so many humanly things that we rely on and we just don't realize it. It's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible. Now watch this. Peter began to speak up. 
I mean, do you even have to put that in there? Peter's always speaking up. Peter's always got something to say. But Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. And he said, yes. Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Thanks. Thanks for that. We just had to throw that in there. Dash along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Isn't that what this whole thing was started from? What must I do? to inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Worship team, if you'd come. It's, it's a thought and it's an idea to challenge today our values. Challenge what we deem valuable challenge our way of living and our way of thinking and, and, and not just what we do, but how we do it, to challenge the process. In this room today, we all have varying values. We all have values, things that one person would say, man, that doesn't mean anything to me, but a thing to another person would say, yeah, that means everything. In this room, some people value working out. In this room, others don't. I've, I've always thought it was funny how people that don't like to work out get so irritated by people that eat healthy and do work out. It's like, just, it, you put them next to you, you put them in the same room and one of them's killing somebody. It's probably not the one that works out. But we all have varying levels and, and, and ways that we deem certain things in our lives valuable. But, but today, Jesus isn't, asking, he's not asking, what are you doing? He's asking, why are you doing it? If you know anything about Anchor Faith Church, we want to discover the purpose, the reason, the, the why, the motive, the attitude, the, the, the thing beneath the thing. In a world that is so surface and in a world that, that is uh, uh, so fleeting and, and, and we, we do so many things to make ourselves feel good, look good and be good. God is trying to get us to the bottom today. But he can't reveal your values until you discover the cost. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church Podcast.